Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to, well now it's season two of All Things Reconsidered. I am your host, Brandon. Joining me as always is Joey. What's up, everybody? And we have a very special guest back on the show to help us launch season two, Pastor Brian Zond. Yes, thank you, Pastor Brian, for being on with us. Great to be here. I didn't know I was season premiere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, we roll out the red carpet here. (laughs) Listen, we're going to have a big, you know, big launch for season two. There you go. All right. Well, good. I'm glad I could do it. (laughs) Yeah. So if you see your face on any billboards around your town, just that's probably. (laughs) Yeah. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Where are you guys? I don't even know where you are. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. All right. Foothills of the mountains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, now, of course, uh, for anyone who's been watching our show for a while, we have had Pastor Brian on before. He's uh, told us his story from his book, Water to Wine. Uh, but today, we wanted to jump into something uh, more specific. We wanted to get into the book of Revelation. Yes. Uh, because mm-hmm. uh, as anyone who's been watching our show is well aware, Brandon and I have changed the way we've thought about Revelation. Just a skosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I I know a lot of our listeners have asked for a rundown of the whole book, but we'll be honest, we're not experts. Don't know what I'm talking about with when it comes to that. So, <laughs> so we're doing the best we can. But, but at least we're honest about not knowing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the saving grace right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but uh, Revelation seems to be a book that a lot of people struggle with, and so we, we knew we needed to bring on an expert for that. But um, before we get into that, though, I also want to note, we're recording this during Holy Week. It is Lent right now, and uh, I'm just curious, you know, how, how Lent's been going for you. I, this is our first time ever going through Lent, yes. uh, because we were just raised in Christian backgrounds that, you know, didn't honor that kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's our first time. Uh, so how's, how's Lent been for you? Well, it's been awesome, mostly because almost all of it I've been in the Holy Land. I'm oh, just back yeah. from, wow. from spending a month in Israel leading two Holy Land pilgrimages back to back. I mean, we we didn't we we, we announced that we were gonna do we do one about every year. We're we've done them for twenty five years. And this one, the one that we announced a year ago, sold out in like like couple of hours wow and and so people were irritated (laughs) and we don't want to we don't want people unhappy but i didn't want to do two buses either because it's it's kind of defeats the purpose a little bit so so we just stayed over there for a month and one group would come and we'd lead them and then another group would come and so so i'm just back i mean today i was teaching on the olivet discourse which is connected to the book of revelation in some ways and uh I i was telling the people that the last two times I taught on the Olivet Discourse, I did it uh, last month on the Mount of Olives. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I sat on the Mount of Olives and taught about Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives and wow. teaching about the end Talk of the temple. Talk about a surreal anyway, there. Yeah. So, so things are going great. Um, to be honest, I can't believe I agreed to do a podcast though in the middle of Holy Week <laughs> because things are so busy. Not gonna we lie, we so were a little shocked. Alive, but, yeah. but it but I'm happy to do it. But yeah. Well, we appreciate it greatly. Yeah. Whenever Joe's like, he said he can do it during Holy Week. I was like, is he sure he can do it during Holy Week? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I was thinking, but amen. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah, it's funny. Um I my wife and I actually just took over as the kids' pastors at our church. And so yeah. I was like, I have a very important thing to happen on Tuesday, so a lot of the Easter stuff is going to happen after Tuesday. (laughs) But um, now, with Revelation, uh, you know what's interesting about this book is that it seems to be popping up in Christian news just constantly. Uh, It seems like anything that happens in the world, it could be something minor, it could be something huge, someone out there says that it's the fulfillment of Revelation. Someone. And uh, and people have been saying that for a very, very, very long time. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, for instance, I, I won't name names or anything, but one prominent pastor I saw just recently because of this article that came out in Rolling Stones was saying that um, Vladimir Putin is actually being directed by God to do the things he's doing because it's all a part of the end times plan. Yeah, uh, you know, funny because I would see it almost exactly the opposite. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so we see online all the time though people saying this is what revelation is about. This is this event is happening. You know anything from taxes changing to some event happening with the military. I don't Gas know. prices. So basically my first question for you pastor since we've heard from the Facebook prophets that the world is ending yeah. is the world actually ending? 
Okay, this might be the only question you'll get to ask the whole podcast. That's I don't know how fine. long it'll take me to answer this question. Um, is the world ending? Yes, we're in the last days. Okay. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Right. <laughs> so uh, the world as it is will pass away and is passing away, and the true light is already beginning to shine. That's what the apostles say. Um, but I know what you're asking. You're asking something a little different. Um, let's talk about the book of Revelation, yes, shall please. we? Yes. Let's just, let's just kind of dive in yes. and just jump in and stop me now and then if you want clarification or you're bored with that topic. Or <laughs> okay, so what is the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is a form of Jewish Christian apocalyptic literature that was almost certainly written in the 90s, not the 1990s, <laughs> just the 90s, um, by, we'll call him John the Revelator. He may have been connected to St. John the Elder, the community that ends up in Ephesus, but most scholars will not believe that the author of the fourth gospel and the three epistles of John are the same author as the book of Revelation because the stylistic differences are extraordinary. Right. Uh, so this is probably a traveling prophet that was familiar with these seven churches in the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire. And he, he writes a very strange composition that's brilliant. It's beautiful and brilliant and strange and hypnotic and all kinds of things. But it is in a form of literature that was, you know, in existence at that time, known as Jewish apocalyptic. It's in that style. Uh, it borrows almost all of the images, though sometimes they're inflated and exaggerated. There very few, if any, are actually original just to the book of Revelation. Sure. They, there are hundreds, hundreds of allusions to Old Testament passages and scriptures. Um, the book is written in the 90s during the reign of Emperor Domitian. Okay. But its setting is different. It is using a, a thing called post-diction, which is the opposite of prediction. Uh, the book of Daniel is also done this way. The book of Daniel is set in the uh, 5th century B.C., but it's composed around, you know, circa 150 sure. BC. So you, you, your setting is earlier than the composition. Right. And why do people use post-diction? Well, because it's easier to get it right that way. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the book is several things. First of all, it is a prophetic critique of the Roman Empire. That is the chief thing you want to keep in mind, that the beast, the false prophet, the, the woman, the, the great harlot, all of these are varying images for the Roman Empire. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's John the Revelator's target that he is critiquing, that Caesar is a kind of Antichrist. The Roman Empire is a kind of anti-kingdom of God, right. making similar claims, but John wants to be sure that his readers understand that this is a beast, Okay, that okay. this is wicked at its heart. Because you understand empires, and the Roman Empire has done it the best ever, uh, they are very good at propaganda, and they are oh, yeah. very good at spectacle, and it's very easy to be overawed by the imagery of empire. Right. And to be swept up in a kind of euphoria and really believing that this is the last best hope of the world. Right. You know, as politicians say about America, well, that kind of language was used uh, about Rome. And so he, this is a critique of the Roman Empire. Okay. It, it is also a, and this would be related, a prophetic expose of civil religion. By civil religion, we mean a form of religion where, although it may use typical religious language, vocabulary, imagery, icon iconography, the real object of worship is the state itself. Mm. 
And so the, the nation or the empire is being exalted into the form of God, and, and, the, and the people are being drawn into the worship of the, of the empire. And, and John wants to make that clear that that's actually what is happening. It is, a, it is, of course, a prophetic anticipation of the ultimate triumph of Christ. But probably the most important thing to remember about the book of Revelation is yes. that everything— Everything from the bejeweled city to rivers of blood to the dragons and the beasts and the lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, all of it is symbol. Right. You you don't get to say, you know, someday I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to list all the symbols in the book of Revelation. And it must be well over a hundred or maybe much. I don't know. And and I'll just have two columns. You have you have to check a box, literal, symbolic. All right. And so somebody says, okay, Jesus depicted as a lamb, a slaughtered lamb, yeah, with seven eyes and seven horns. Okay, I think that's symbolic. Right. <laughs> uh, Jesus coming back on a flying white horse with a sword in his mouth to kill 200 million people. Oh, I think that's literal. And, <laughs> and at the end of it, I'm going to just, the, the, the final question at the end of it is explain your system. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's good. No, it's all symbol and it's very creative. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it's the symbols are drawn from the old Testament. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Um, and it often employs a form of uh, the Greco-Roman play. I think, I think you need to imagine the book of Revelation on a stage, okay. the stage production. That would be kind of elaborate. You, you have to have, you know, the different kind of costumes and the special <laughs> right. effects. Fly but lines. I think this is part of what's going on in mind. It's, it's in the form of a Greco-Roman play complete with drama, tragedy, comedy, and chorus. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Okay. Uh, in, the, in Revelation chapter, is it four? Revelation chapter four, we have, uh, this is after the, the introduction and the message to the seven churches, and then we're, we're off to the races here. And, and uh, four gives you a scene of, in heaven. And, and then in five, um, John is being given a tour, as it were, yeah, uh, by one who's called an elder. And we now have arrived at the point where the one who sits upon the throne, the holy one that sits upon the throne, God, has in his hand a scroll that has not been unfurled and read and proclaimed. It's sealed with seven seals. And as we will learn, the scroll is... In fact, uh, the declaration of the scroll brings about the redemptive purposes of God. Right. So, so once the seventh seal is broken and the seventh trumpet is sounded and it's all being completed, the declaration is the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And so, so we can think of the scroll as its proclamation brings about the redemption of the world. And yet there's a problem. Here, here's the drama. The drama is no one is found worthy mm-hmm. to open the scroll right? and to read it and make its proclamation. No one's worthy. And John says, I began to weep greatly. Well, now we've moved into tragedy. The drama is who is worthy to implement God's program of salvation for the earth? Right. Okay, that's the drama. And then we find out no one is worthy. Right. And... You begin to weep because really, what would be a more depressing idea than this? The way the world is, is the way it must always be. Right. That would drive you to despair. Yeah. Yeah. And so John is weeping greatly. But then the elder says, wait, no, stop. Look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he is worthy Mm -hmm. to break the seals. Yeah. Proclaim the scroll. Look. That's why he said, it's, behold, or look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And John looks, and there's no lion. He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, a little lamb, a slaughtered lamb, a lamb, a lamb that has been slain but is standing. Right. Resurrected. It was slain, but it's alive. Well, that's, that's comedy there. Right. I mean, you're, look, the lion of, 
And you, if we were, you know, in Africa walking in the safari and in the savanna and, and, and we're in lion country, you know, we're, we're kind of like nervous because we're yeah. aware that lion and I go, a lion, look. And you look and I'm pointing at a little lamb. <laughs> right. A slaughtered, right. One, a slaughtered one at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a joke. See, it's a joke. It's, it's, it's incongruous. Yeah. yeah. So people say, you know, that, that there's a lion and a lion, Jesus lion and a lion. And yes. there's no lion in the book of Revelation. There, there is the title, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which would mean Messiah. But when you look, you don't see a lion. Right. You see a lamb. And then what happens is, uh, well, then the chorus comes out. Yeah. Uh, so, so here it is. Uh, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them singing blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So, so you see it right there. Drama. That moves to tragedy, that moves to comedy, and then the chorus breaks yeah, out. Yeah, I see that. Um, so that that's part of, I mean, the book of Revelation is a, I mean, you know, I'm going to call it inspired, of course, but right. but it's it's a work of genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so much going on there. The only thing I wish is that it came with kind of a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some sort of a, a forward before the right. Yeah, starts, yeah. I, a little prologue. But, and you know, it, it did have a difficult time being admitted to the canon, mm-hmm. uh, not only because of its uh, obvious strangeness, and that did sort of worry some people. Right. But it was just strange. It's so different than every other book yeah. in the Bible. But yeah. but also, they were not sure of the author, and that's why the Book of Hebrews also had a hard time getting. Because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? Right. And right. the church really said, "Yeah, we want this to be apostolic, and we're not sure who this is." And then they kind of built up a tradition. Okay, this is the the John of the Gospel of John, which no, it's right? Not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, and once once you learn to read the Book of Revelation properly. It is this beautiful, glorious climax to the whole story of redemption that begins in Genesis. I yeah. mean, it, it takes you from, from paradise lost to paradise regained, from a garden lost to the garden city coming down yeah. out of the heavens as a bride prepared for the groom. Right. I mean, it's, it is the most fitting conclusion to the, the great saga of redemption that the Bible tells, but don't blow it don't <laughs> yeah. don't say oh okay i i get it wink wink jesus says you know love your enemies turn the other cheek you know he preaches a sermon on the mount but you know really <laughs> really <in the> end, <laughs> he just you know goes goes rambo on the bad guys and that's what brings salvation that's an ideal situation but jesus knows that won't be actually what happens okay no, yeah that's right. what we're supposed to do he can do whatever he wants to do <laughs> and so you know they they you jump to revelation 19 and the the rider on the white horse who goes into battle already drenched in blood right drenched in his own blood yes there is a sword but where is the sword the sword is not in his hand the sword is in his mouth right right and so i mean i, I could say it like this I am among those that have been slain by the word of Christ and then raised to newness of life again and invited to enter into the city that is the new Jerusalem. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think we do terrible violence to the whole message of Jesus if we say, well, in the end, really, God saves the world by killing the world. (laughs) Right. So do you think that the issues with how people read Revelation— it does. It all just is connected to the fact that they assume it's literal or meant to be read literally yeah, rather than right. figuratively, and right. then and then there's so much of this I think desire in so many American Christians and uh, of wanting this violence, almost like craving this dramatic. Oh, right. this is this is a real problem. Yeah. You know, if you believe there has to be a mega war in the Middle East before Jesus can come back, yeah. And you understand that there are millions of Christians that believe that. Oh, yeah. That, that do we want Jesus to return? Do we want the parousia? Do we want Christ to come and the culmination of all things? Yes. But if you believe there has to be this mega war in the Middle East before that happens, it's very difficult for you to actually be a peacemaker. Yeah, 100%. Because you're, you're, you're secretly 
or maybe not so secretly, always hoping for war. Yes. And that's that's where eschatology uh, can be ruinous to our theology. Eschatology, remember, you know, it's a study of last things. I mean, that's, you know, what the word would mean. But eschatology isn't something we tag on at the end. It's what determines our telos, what our goal is, where we're headed. And if you believe that the end is necessary violence, then you're going to have a telos of violence about your whole being. Right. And this this is really, I think, to terribly distort the whole life and message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so the book of Revelation needs to be rescued from that. The, the book <clears throat> requires some scholarly treatment. Right. I mean, it really does. Yeah. Um, it, it's just not the book that you can pick up and necessarily just Say start the reading spirit it. spirit will it. guide me and you, I will you understand. Just, you just yeah. I remember I grew up in church. I had a real encounter with Jesus when I was a teenager, but that kind of changed everything. But, you know, we went to church and I was often bored with the sermon. <laughs> and uh, what I would do is I'd take the pew Bible out and read the book of Revelation. Sure. And I was, you know, fascinated by its, you know, dragons and demons and angels and monsters and rivers of blood and all of that. <clears throat> and I can remember thinking, OK, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to try to really understand this now. <laughs> You know, I'm like 10 years old. Right. <laughs> you know, and of course you don't. Yeah. And it, it takes, and this, some people find this offensive. And I, I don't know what to say. It takes professional help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you need help with this book. Now, the thing is, the help is available. It's out there. Right. I can tell you yeah. the books to read. But what's happened is people who have no business opining upon the book of Revelation, interpreting it, preaching from it, uh, have figured out that if you if you play up all of the sensationalist aspects and make it somehow predictive of, you know, you have to change it. Because in the 1970s, you know, the beast was this supercomputer in Brussels right. and the Antichrist was going to be King Juan Carlos of Spain. But, you know, that didn't pan out. So they just you just keep kicking the can down the yeah. road. We'll get it right uh, eventually. But but it's 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 you know, it's never not been successful as far as selling books. Yeah, that's true. And the more sensationalist, the more popular the book becomes, you know, I mean, who knows how much damage has been done to how Christians think about the ultimate things by books like late great planet earth in the seventies. And then, you know, left behind the whole left behind series. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is awful at every level. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll tell you, I mean, I haven't always had uh, a healthy eschatology because just like so many other people, I just grew up and I inherited what I inherited and then eventually I had to find something better. Yeah. But I will say that I didn't ever read uh, any of the left behind books because when it was really first, you know, there was the first volume, you know, mm-hmm. the left behind, and it was so popular. And I thought, well, maybe I ought to read this. And I remember I read the first half of the first chapter, and the prose it was so terrible. <laughs> I just thought, I'm better than this. I, I am I am going to maintain some level of self-respect. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so and it was just so poorly written yeah it wasn't any theological thing that offended me it was just it was i'm not like, gonna read this yeah right it's yeah 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 it's I, crap can we say crap it was crap we, yeah we, and, that is uh, a perfectly fine word to say on we'll our show. throw the explicit tag on there <laughs> yeah <laughs> get a little e yeah because <laughs> well, he said crap yeah <laughs> Well, I, see, that's one. That's one of the borderline cuss words. Right. I'm, Those I'm are not okay. Sure really cross in my world. It doesn't cross the line, but yeah, some people, some, some people for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I know that. Like with Left Behind, that got me so convinced as a teenager because you know I was raised with the Left Behind for Kids series. You think the main one is? Bad. I mean, that's that's child abuse. Come there's on. like and there's like seventy of them. I didn't know about it until me and Joey started this podcast. I was like, wait, there's Left Behind for kids? And he's like, yeah, there's like eighty. I was like. There's no way. There actually are like, yeah, there, there's and who knows how many they've sold. I mean, countless millions. Yeah. yeah. I, I do know this. The best selling nonfiction book of the 1970s was Late Great Planet Earth. Right, right. So these things remain 
popular. And, there's, yeah. and so there's something. But they do damage. And, and so there's something in us, in humans for sure, and, and specifically Christians, I guess, that's just drawn to these kind of end of the world, apocalyptic, you know, war kind of ideas. Um and and so yeah. I know in my experience when I've tried to tell people you know the book of Revelation is not actually about that it's not going to end that way um, no matter how much I try to sell it as a good thing a lot of people are really upset to hear <laughs> that Revelation yeah. is not the way that they thought I mean you'd think telling them hey, I, good I think news. I think what you I would say I know that's true I would yeah. say give it a chance yeah yeah and I would say I would recommend some really good books and I would say read these and tell me it doesn't thrill you right. Mm-hmm. And I might as well say it. Yeah, so yeah, of, yeah, Here, here's some of the books I recommend. Um, Michael Gorman's Reading Revelation Responsibly. Oh, that's a good one. Our pastor has recommended that to me several yeah, times. Yeah, we need to get that one. one. <laughs> um, Richard Bauckham's The Theology of Revelation. Richard Bauckham. Okay. He's a, a British New Testament scholar. Uh, Eugene Peterson's Reversed Thunder. Um, N.T. Wright has just a little book on it. It's, it's just, you know, like it's it's in his uh, The Bible for Everyone series. I got you. Okay. It's, it, it's just a little, but that'll give you the basic components of how to make major course corrections in the book of Revelation. Okay, uh, so that might be a Barbara Rossing wrote a book called The Rapture exposed (laughs) love that that's a cool title and it it's not it's not on the book of revelation per se but it is a ruthless takedown of dispensationalism and rapture theology that's what i love i I read that book maybe close to i read it whenever it came out which is maybe like 17 16 17 years ago i still remember the, the opening sentence the rapture is a racket. <laughs> and, and she just does such a, well, she was commissioned. She belongs to the Lutheran denomination, which is a mainline church that, you know, their pastors don't teach this stuff, but it's just so in our culture. Right. Yes, it is. Uh, that they thought, well, no, we've got to deal with this. And so they commissioned her to write a book on this. It's very well done. I bought a whole case of them. <laughs> I bought an entire case. I'm just like, here, read this. Here, you. <laughs> Just walking around handing it out to people. That's awesome. Uh, and if I do say so, uh, my book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, has three chapters on the book of Revelation. Yes, that has. Or, let's see if I can remember the titles of them. The, the, the Anthem of the Lamb, The War of the Lamb, The City of the Lamb. And I wrote the introduction to the book of Revelation for the Jesus-centered Bible. Oh, nice. Study Bible. It's a New Living Translation. And uh, I wrote I wrote the introduction for Jonah, Matthew, Titus, and Revelation. Okay. Well, well thank you for that. Yeah, but I'm, I know a lot of those have been on my list for a while. We'll try actually. to get some, like, Amazon links down in the description below so people can uh, just ease of access of mm-hmm. buying those books because they need to be bought yeah. and read yeah. more I, than once. So, so when John... Was we're calling him John anyway? Uh, as he was John, as he was writing this, he he used this kind of imagery that today we're taking to mean you know to, as literal. But was that type of writing easily understood by his audience back then? Would they? That's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say it would be easily understood. I would say it was more easily understood. Sure. There's a sense in which the Book of Revelation is a kind of elaborate, very elaborate, super elaborate political cartoon. Right. So if you see a political cartoon of an elephant and a donkey and they're wearing, you know, boxing shorts and they got boxing gloves and they're in a ring and they're, you know, going at it. Well, you immediately go, okay, this is, you know, a commentary on the state of American politics between Republicans and Democrats. Right. Okay. That's, you get that real quick. Now imagine it's 2,000 years later, and all you know about the United States is a couple of pages that you read in a history book. Right. And you don't speak English. You know nothing of the subtle nuances of the political situation in America in the early 21st century, and you see that image. What are the odds that you're going to actually interpret that correctly. Right, exactly. <laughs> you're not going to. And, that, and that's why I say 
probably the thing that helped me most to really appreciate the book of Revelation for what it is, is to do a very deep dive into the Greco-Roman world and really especially understand um, the history of the emperors from Augustus Caesar through Nero. And once you understand that, oh, oh, it's it begins to make sense. Yeah. Uh, the I've got it. I got to look it up here. Okay. The Book of Revelation has an actual, very specific setting, uh, an amazingly specific setting. The book is set. Um, I, I don't want to get into the, you know just the nitty gritty, sure. but yep. we're going to do that for a second. Revelation seventeen verse nine. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Most people get, you know, Rome is the city of seven hills. Right. I don't think we get that. Uh, and they are also seven kings, of whom five have fallen. One is living. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain only a little while. Um, what, that, what that does is it takes you... The five that have fallen are Augustus through Nero. Those are the first five emperors of the right. Roman Empire because, you know, they had the Republic before yep. that. But these are the five emperors. And then you have, uh, then you have Galba, who reigns from 68 to 69. I think from – I used to even know the months, but I've forgotten them now. Uh, it's just almost a year. And then the one that it says then, – then, then another one comes that, that will reign only a little while. That's, well, that's Ortho. That's uh, he ran. He only reigned for three months. So the the setting here. Oh, here I, I did not see my notes. Uh, this Emperor Galba reigned from June of sixty eight to January of uh, sixty nine. That's when the book is set. The book is set. it's not written then, wow. but it's set then. Gotcha. Wow. And so it's just right prior to AD seventy, which is this huge event. That it's all that the the all of that discourse is about. Yeah, and when Jesus is talking about the end of the age, he's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end of the temple and the temple establishment, the temple aristocracy, and the temple age. Right, and the, the temple age comes to an end, and there's now a new temple. Just like there's a new covenant, a new Israel, a new humanity, and there's a new temple, not made of limestone, but of living stones. Right. Um. I love the book of Revelation, and I think it's, I think in one sense, it's always the most, or I won't say the most, but one of the most important books for Christians that are living in a military economic superpower sure. that is not actively persecuting the church. If, if the empire is actively persecuting you, then, then you kind of realize, okay, this is a beast. Right. If it's somewhat friendly, using the church for its own purposes, no doubt, but still not actively persecuting, uh, th this book is very important. Right. Remind you that that there there is always the temptation for the church to play the part of the harlot. Yeah. And to ride the back of the beast. And to somehow believe that God is where is so, so I would say that the book is very important for Christians living in the United States. Yeah. And in Russia right now. Right. Um, both need to. Yeah. They not not that not that uh, the United States or the modern nation state of Russia are in the book of Revelation, but it's one of those. Exactly. I mean, I mean, the Roman Empire comes to an end. But the empire doesn't come to an end. It just right. mutates in different form. Yeah. And so it, I think it's, it's very helpful. And, and this, is, this is what's really brought out in Michael J. Gorman's book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. That's probably my favorite book on interpreting the book of Revelation. That, that and Bauckham's. Yeah. Both were really good. And that really boils down to something that um, our pastor used to say a lot when, you know, we would talk to him about Revelation and he'd say, Revelation is definitely for us, but is not about us at all. That's that's exactly right. And I think yeah, it's for us. It's not about us. Yeah. And so I think that kind of boils down to the difference between prediction and postdiction. So mm -hmm. how did we go away from knowing that John the Revelator 
was talking about things going on or that had already happened to John predicting the future. Yeah, how do we get here, basically? <laughs> I don't know how, but it happened very early on. Gotcha. It did? Oh, I, I didn't know. Uh, this, this, this is not something that began with Hal Lindsey in the 1970s. Sure. I can, who was it? Um, Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, who in some ways, you know, he's a 13th century abbot, mystic monk, who can write some really wonderful things. Uh, he's, he's famous for working with the book of the Song of Solomon. And yet he also became a preacher raising crusaders for the first crusade, and he, he used the book of Revelation. Gotcha. And he had all kinds of, you know, he had it all figured out, you know what I mean? Right. And it had something to do with the date of Muhammad's birth. And I don't, you know, it's just all wow. the, the kind of stuff you've seen done today. And this is by a guy that is, you know, I mean, you would respect him. You would say, okay, this was a serious dude. Sure. Um, but I, I mean, Martin Luther, when when the Reformation is going full on, he just wanted to get he wanted to get rid of the Book of Revelation. <laughs> he that, say that, that like, I I do not see that Christ is at all proclaimed in this book. Wow! And uh, we're we're told that that uh, whoever reads it is blessed, but who can understand? <laughs> and so he 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 wanted to get rid of it until he found it useful to call the Pope Antichrist. Sure. And, you know, oh, wow. Pope returned the favor and called Martin Luther Antichrist, <laughs> and they're all going no. at each other. No, I, no. I, I just think, I think part of what, and this will sound, I don't know how this will come across people to hear this, but I think really as much as anything, what has redeemed the book of Revelation for people in the last 100 years has just been some modern scholarship. Sure. It doesn't have to even be that modern. It isn't like we're making new discoveries. It's just like, okay, wait a minute. Let's really, let's look at this through the lens of the Roman Empire from Augustus right. to, well, Ortho, actually. Yeah. Those seven emperors. Yeah, not and so it, much a... It you starts know, making sense. Yeah, not so much a rethinking it through modern scholarship, but just returning to scholarship when reading it. Yeah, now let, let's talk about the Antichrist for a minute because minute, you brought him up, and that's another. Yeah, Antichrist isn't even mentioned in the Book of Revelation. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Right? It's funny because of my upbringing with with um, Left Behind for Kids. Uh, first time I read the Book of Revelation, I was expecting. <laughs> I um, mean, I Left Behind. For, I just I can't. I still can't get away. I know it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, you know, it's about kids trying to figure out high school while also the end of the world's happening. <laughs> it's pretty exciting yeah. stuff. But um, so. I was expecting to see a tribulation force, right? <laughs> but see, see, I never read it, but I mean, I know these things somehow. I don't even know how do I even know that. I don't know. It's, it's just like, it's buried deep in your subconscious. Yeah, yeah. You maybe maybe you know about it because of all the people that you've had to counsel out probably, of that thinking, probably. <laughs> but um, okay. Although, so, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. They did a they did a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Kirk and y'all know Jonathan Martin. I think so. Yeah. He's a he's a pastor and well, he's in Oklahoma City now. They also did one with Nick Cage. Yes, he and he. I'm talking about that one. Yeah. The okay, one the Nicholas Cage one. I, I think the, the most recent one, and it was like probably even so ten years ago. Yeah, the newest one had Nicholas Cage in it. We we went to it. Ah. And sat in the very back row <laughs> and live tweeted it. Oh no! And it, it's one of the funniest things. Oh, that man. we've never, it was his. That is a Twitter thread I'm going to spend way too long trying to find. Yeah, I'll yeah be, I'll I don't know how you'd find it, but it's pretty funny. That's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, so the Antichrist is this okay. figure that, I mean, as a kid, I was terrified of. And of course, I was putting my internet sleuthing skills to the test and trying to deduce who it was. Um, and, you know, I never, I always came up short, never solved that mystery of who the Antichrist is, unfortunately. So, why, I know that uh, people have all tried to. To unmask this elusive person, but I think your way of thinking is that it's not really one person, right? Well, it's, well, it's more okay. of a spirit. Also, the real quick, Joey, term Antichrist occurs, I think, three times. Yes, in in uh, Peter, I think, in, in in the writings of John the Elder. This is you know first, second, third John. Yep, who's also the author of the fourth gospel. You can tell their styles are exactly the same. And he is using it there for um, some. some he, he he one time uses the term the Antichrist. Usually, it's just 
these are antichrists. Those that deny that Christ has come in the flesh are antichrists. Right. So those that deny the full humanity of Christ, the docetists who, and, and certain other Gnostics who said, well, no, Jesus wasn't fully human. He only appeared to be fully human. He didn't really become fully human. And uh, John says, no, that's antichrist because, you know, we understand Christ as the one who is fully human, fully right. God, hypothetic union, two natures, one person. Uh, so there it has nothing to do with any kind of eschatological figure right, at all. Right. Uh, there is the phrase about the man of lawlessness that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians, which is a little bit obscure. Mm -hmm. um, it's, interesting, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul in his first two epistles, and, and well, his earliest epistles, which are Thessalonians and Corinthians, Paul does talk about the parousia, the appearing, the coming of the Lord quite a bit. And then as, and then, you know, then it kind of, he doesn't talk Stop about it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I thought, dang, that's just like everybody I ever knew that, you know, they first get saved and they're talking about <laughs> rapture and Jesus coming back. And then yes. everyone's like, yeah, whatever. All Let's right. just get down to the business of following Jesus here. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's undeniable that, the early church, and by the early church, I mean like the primitive church, the first the first century church. Yeah. Uh, anticipate. I mean, it's in Paul's writings. They anticipate the coming of the Lord imminently. Oh yeah. Imminently. I mean, like today, or five years from now. And then it doesn't happen. And the church. It's interesting. The church doesn't really um, have a problem with that. It changes things. Because in the apostolic era, just the first century, uh, the church almost existed outside of history. I mean, it, history doesn't matter. It's coming to an end. Sure. And, and there, that was, it was much easier to be not of this world. Right. Because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And then that doesn't happen. And they think, hmm, all right, I guess we are here for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now you got to figure out how to, how to do this. So, so, so there is this strange man of lawlessness, which is clearly inspired by Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, mm. who was a Seleucid king. And this is what this is what lurks in this is the background of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is set during the time of the Babylonian and Persian domination of Israel, but it's really addressing the problem of the in the 160s when Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, the Seleucid king embarked upon this forced Hellenization program of the Jews. He was trying to force them to become Greek, make them eat pork, and right. you know, don't let them circumcise their sons and all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And it led to a very vicious persecution. And at one point, he goes into the temple and defiles it with a pig. This is the abomination of desolation. Right. And there is, uh, apparently, there is a sense that this is about to happen again with Rome, with the, and it ends in the destruction. So you, in one sense, you could just say, okay, the abomination of desolation in the New Testament is the destruction of the temple in AD 70, when it's, it was absolutely destroyed. Um, so, but beyond that, I mean, the beast... Mm -hmm. In the book of Revelation, that's just that's the Roman Empire. Yeah, that, that, right. that at times is personified by a particular emperor, especially Nero, especially Nero, who, you know, under his reign is when both Paul and Peter are executed yep. in Rome. And so he was seen as a very vicious opponent of Christian faith. And there was even a sort of a I don't know what you call it, a legend, an, an, an idea, a belief that somehow Nero was going to return, even yeah. though he was dead, you know, right. he died of suicide, that he was going to come back. And that figures in there a little bit, too. So, um, you know, if you're going to talk about 666, though, 
that is, I mean, that's, that's Nero. That's, I mean, that's, right, yeah. that's Nero. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's, it, you know, he kind of plays it up. Like this is going to really be tricky and you've got to figure this. It's not that tricky. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And it's, I mean, the numerical value of Caesar Nero is six, six, six. Right. Right. And, um, and, and other things like the, the great whore of Babylon, that is, that's supposed to be Roma, the goddess. Am I correct about that? Yes. And what's it's, it's, it gives you an idea of how edgy it is. Roma, the pay, who 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 is the goddess that is the deification of Rome. It's 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 Rome's self image of itself, right? Through propaganda, it's the Statue of Liberty. That, that, that this is this is the matron. She is the one that provides for the family, cares for the family. She is the embodiment of dignity. And John the Revelator turns her into a whore. Yeah, yeah. What a <laughs> it slap. would be like. Here's exactly what it's like. Think about, you know, patriotic Americans and the various symbols that they see that represent America to them. And imagine someone that takes uh, the the Statue of Liberty lady Mm -hmm. and turns her, imagine it as like a cartoon. She's, you know, half drunk, got a bottle of vodka in her hand and is prostituting on the streets of New York. Right. I mean, no wonder this guy ends up on the island of Patmos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, is, this is, you know, touchy stuff. And so that's what's going I mean, once you understand, oh, okay, this is John mocking Roma. Right. The goddess. Mm-hmm. You know, you start getting that kind of knowledge. I think, one, it, it clarifies things, but I think, I think it's, it becomes very fascinating. And, uh, I mean, once you get it, once you see it, then, then you are immune, I think, to these uh, sensationalist manipulations of the book of Revelation by people who have no business trying to interpret the book of Revelation. Right. They're just not qualified. I mean, if I had my way, and it'll never happen, but if I had my way, <laughs> you, would have to, you would have to obtain a special license to preach from the book of Revelation. <laughs> That'd be great. You got 65 books. Do whatever you want. Oh, you want the book? No, you're going to have to get a license for that. (laughs) (laughs) It'll save me so much heartache in high school. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) Well, uh, now with with, um, Revelation, the way that it is, though, with how it can be so confusing for some people who don't have that kind of background, um, you know, now that we understand Revelation as being a critique of Rome, how can we apply that in our lives right now? If it's not, if it's not something to look at and say, okay, let's predict the next however many years, if that's not what it is, then how do we use it? What is the lesson that, that America specifically, since that's where 99% of our listeners are, what's the lesson for America from this book? Look, when John is writing, it's in the 90s. And the, the wave of persecution that first shows up with Nero is over. And it, persecution will return periodically, the, the, the last and most vicious being under Diocletian there at the very beginning of the fourth century. But the 90s under Domitian is a pretty tame period of time. Sure. Okay. And I think what, what is motivating John in part is that even by the 90s, the church is almost, I mean, the, the initial wave of Jewish conversions to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah was over, and the church was growing almost exclusively through Gentiles. And so you have, you have pagan um, Romans becoming believers in Jesus, but John wants to remind them, remember the Roman Empire is no friend of faith, yeah. but at its heart, it's a beast. At its heart, it is competing with Christ, trying to be another version of Savior. Right. And, uh, I mean, you hear the kind of language. I mean, it, let me say this about America, and this will may come across. I don't know how this comes across. I'll just say <laughs> it. I care how it comes across. Uh, America is so enormous. It is such just it is just so huge in every way. Yeah. That it is four things. It's not one thing. It's four things. The United States of America is number one, it is a nation, a political nation. It is a um it is it's a culture, it's an empire, and it's a religion. Yep. Uh, you unpack all four. 
uh, America is a political nation. That we get. You know, the 50 states and you know where the borders are and all that. Okay, so clear enough. And a culture. I mean, everywhere I go, it's America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I can go to Portugal, but it's America. Right. You know, it's that U2 song, Outside, It's America. And, uh, but I'll say this, as a nation and as a culture, America is a mixed bag, but there is much to be um, admired. Yep. There's much that is admirable about the American spirit, the American ethos, all of that. There's much that that is genuinely worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. Then you move on though to the empire. And, and by empire, I mean this. Um, empires are rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda. Right. And the Bible maintains a critique of empire quite literally from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. I mean, it ebbs and flows about how dominant that theme is. I mean, it's pretty clear in Genesis and Exodus, shows up now and then in the prophets, it's in the Gospels, and then it really crescendos with the book of Revelation. Uh, the problem with God loves nations. I mean, as I, as I look at Scripture, mm-hmm. Scripture yeah. portrays God as you know celebrating the diversity and the ethnicity and the languages and the cultures of the various nations. Right. What God is opposed to and is always opposed to is empire. Rich, powerful nations who believe they have a divine right to rule the world and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda, because that's the very thing that God has promised to his son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Empires become a rival to Christ. So you you have this, it may sound innocuous to others, but every president's from Lincoln till the present moment will at one time or another have to utter the phrase that America is the last best hope of the world. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln said it first. It's just not true. Right. <laughs> right. It's just not true. That's propaganda. Yep. Yes, yes. You know, that, that comes from the false prophet in the book of Revelation, that kind of propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, religion. America is a religion. And that's what people might be a little bit astounded by. But I don't know why. I mean, how clear is it? Yeah. America right. is a religion complete with a founding myth, mm-hmm. with uh, iconography, iconography, holy days. Yep. For sure. Uh, hymns uh sacred texts right yep and and of course america as a religion it's it's idolatry yeah (laughs) how how else can i say it so these are the kinds of problems that the book of revelation so powerfully and so creatively addresses and for those that think they can just so if i'm if i'm wanting to um help American Christians to move away from religious nationalism. I usually don't take it head on. I just preach from the book of Daniel and also New Testament using the book of Revelation and other texts sure. too, uh, and calling them to live as exiles. This, this is my book, Postcards from Babylon, that our baptism makes us exiles in the land of our birth. Yeah, that suddenly we're not really at home here. I mean, it's like Paul, you know, Paul, on the one hand, he is a Roman citizen. And when it's advantageous, he'll call upon his citizenship. Yeah. He'll flash that as a, just before you begin the beating here, yep. you might want to know I'm a Roman citizen. Right. Okay. <laughs> but then on the other hand, Paul say, ah, oh, no, our citizenship is in heaven. Right. I mean, right. In a utilitarian sense, he will he will invoke Roman citizenship when it helps him. Right. So, you know, if I'm going to go travel, I show up with my passport and it happens to be United States passport because that's what I am. But that's but at the core of my being, uh, national identity is what we call a philosophical accidental. It's mm-hmm. not part of my ontological being. It's just right. I could have been Portuguese, turned out as American, whatever. Don't it's not that big a deal. Sure. What really matters is my allegiance to Christ. Right. And uh, and then, and then you just we really have to help people understand that God is not working through the empires of this world to bring about his purpose, because yeah. that's the propaganda that we get told all the time. And it, yep. it's not new with the United States. I mean, it, it happened with the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Russian Empire, the English Empire, the British oh, yeah. Empire, the, yeah. the the Germans had a flirtation with yeah. it that was disastrous yeah. a little less than 100 years ago. And now America's fooling around, and Russia again. Yeah. You know, because right. 
um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't like Vladimir Putin. Can I just say that? <laughs> I don't fine. like him. Yes. And uh, now my computer probably won't work ever again. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, who, I, who I'm really disgusted with, and I don't have, I don't, you know, I don't have any other vocabulary nicer than that, is uh, the patriarch of Moscow, Kirill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, that's just a full-on Caiaphas, if you want to use the gospel story, or false prophet out of the book of Revelation yeah. that is in cahoots with the beast. And um, so the book of Revelation is a great place to go if you want to critique, okay, is the world saved through beast power or lamb power? Yeah. Um Jesus reigns, but always from the cross and always as a lamb. And the sword is never in his hand. It's in his mouth. And the blood he sheds is not those of his enemies, but it's his own. Right. You can just go on and on oh, and yeah. on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I see that. And then the book, the book ends with, well, let's, let's say something about Armageddon. Here right okay. There. Armageddon. Uh, that's, I should read this passage maybe, uh, or maybe not. Let's see. Revelation. So, um, Revelation 16, verse 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon. With the number of books (laughs) that have been published that have the word Armageddon in its title, that this is a major theme throughout Scripture. When in fact, this is the only time it's ever mentioned. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I've been at Armageddon within the last, you know, been there a couple of times in the last month. Uh, Tell Megiddo. So you're in the Jezreel Valley. You're in the Jezreel Valley. Um. A kind of lush farmland. And then you see this, this hill, this big hill. And you'll think, oh, that's a geological formation. No, it's not. It's a tell. A tell is an unnatural mound that develops over millennia from cities being destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt, hmm. destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt. Oh, wow. And Tel Megiddo has been destroyed and rebuilt 30 times. Whoa. <laughs> 30 times. And the reason it, I mean, there's its proximity to a water source and the the fertility of the land around there is why people want to live there. It's also on this major connecting route between the empires of the north, Syria and and, uh, uh, Babylon, and the great empire of the south, which was Egypt. And this was just, it just became a battlefield. Sure. It just became, so the word Armageddon, Harmageddon, the mountain of Megiddo. Um, Megiddo is the town, but it becomes this tell. And you know, so, if you say Armageddon, it should sound like a battlefield. So, if I say if I say Omaha Beach, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. you probably don't think of like having a picnic on the beach. <laughs> right. I mean, you could. I've been to Omaha, but you can do that. But that isn't what you think of. Right, you think of a battle. And so, what is set. In the book of Revelation, what we are given is a choice. If you follow the beast, you're always going to end up at Fallujah or Flanders Field or Omaha Beach, or it says Armageddon. Right. But the alternative is to follow the Lamb. So Armageddon is always a possibility, but never an inevitability. And so the book sort of ends, sort of the book of revelation and and as as the book is closing we have this we have a couple of destinations we have the new city the new jerusalem yep which which has the same dimensions as the roman empire it's 1500 miles square and also high which gives you another symbol but yeah so it's it's john's vision is of a heavenly empire that would replace the beastly empire of right. Rome. Um, and and in this lovely garden city where the, where the tree of life is recovered, that's one option. But then there's also the lake of fire, mm-hmm. uh, 
where those that have followed the beast and the false prophet and the dragon, they end up there. Right. If you're going to follow Satan in the way of accusation and war and blame and, and empire, that's where it ends up. Right. Always in, in Fallujah or Armageddon, Flanders Field, Omaha Beach. Um, but, then, but then we're told that inside the city, the, the city of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem, the spirit and the bride say, come. Yeah. Are you thirsty? Come. The gate, it has gates, the gates at 12 gates. Yep. They're never shut. Yeah. The gates yeah. are always open. Yeah. They're, they're, the gates are not there to keep anybody out. They are direct people in. And the spirit and the bride from the new Jerusalem are crying out, are you thirsty? <laughs> they're in a lake of fire. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- yeah. And so the, the final picture is the church calling out into the world saying, if you ever get tired of just the way the world is, we got something else here for you. Right. Wow, now, you, you, need, you need to wash your garments in the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. But come on in. Yeah. Come on. That's beautiful. Come on in because the gates are never shut and the spirit and the bride are always saying, come, come, come. We invite you to come in here. So don't think that, okay, there's got to, I've got Armageddon figured out and it's a Soviet, well, I can't say that anymore. It's a Russian invasion of Israel. Da, 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 right. All that sort of stuff. And that has to happen. No, it doesn't have to happen. That is what can happen if you follow the way of the world, the way of the beast, the way of war. Right. But you can follow the Prince of Peace, the Lamb, and it leads to a different destination. Wow. So it's not an inevitability, though it's always a possibility and the choice is ours. That's incredible. It's just it's astounding to me the lengths that people will go to miss the points of Revelation and to use it just to proof text their own desire for violence. And so hearing it explained the way you have is uh, it's very refreshing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, trying to do our best to maintain that hour time frame that we're looking at. And I was going to ask you, what's a hopeful reading of Revelation? Because I feel like we've used you know Revelation to be such a fear driver in the church to get people, you know, to mm. come to church. Like, we're going to use Revelation to scare you into serving God. <laughs> and, but I feel like uh, you summed it up really I mean, well. It, it, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, It's going to be my Easter text. Oh. I'm going to preach from Revelation. When I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I like it when <laughs> Jesus gets so excited that he amens himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the keys of death in the Hades. Maybe I'll sum it up like this by telling a story. Okay. I don't want to tell it. Well, people ask me all the time, uh, BZ, do you believe in a literal hell? I go, literal hell? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've been there a lot. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places, in fact. <laughs> um, literal hell. See, hell comes about. Uh, this, this is the translation of Gehenna. Mm-hmm. Gehenna in older, not not newer translations, but older translation translates hell. And then that word, that's a, that's a Norse word, H-E-L with one L, and then we just added another L. Right. Mm-hmm. Just because. And <laughs> uh, it travels through time. And along the way, it picks up baggage. You know, everything from Dante's Inferno to Chick Tracks to the Baptist Hell House at Halloween. Yep. You right, know, it right. picks all these up. And it's because, but the literal hell is the garbage. Well, first of all, south of the city of Jerusalem was where Canaanites worshipped Molech, which was a particularly hideous form of right. child sacrifice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then after David's conquest, uh, because that place was so identified with such wicked idol worship, it was just made the city dump. And so this is the place where the fires are not quenched and the worm dieth not. I mean, that's what you did with dumps. It just kept it burning. Right. Yeah. And it's where the maggots, you know, were and all that sort of stuff. And then the warning comes from uh, Jeremiah, and then Jesus imitates it later on, that if Jerusalem doesn't repent and it's hell-bent for war ways, it's the whole city's going to end up in Gehenna, a literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so... So what I do, though, when I'm leading a Holy Land pilgrimage, 
And let me just clarify here. When I say holy land, I understand that in Christ, the chosen people is the human race and the whole earth is the holy land. Right. Yes. The reason I say holy land is just to avoid saying Israel, Palestine and bringing in modern mm-hmm. political modern boundaries of countries. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I, I call it a holy land pilgrimage, even though theologically I understand that, you know, the whole earth is God's holy land. Right. All right. But when I'm there, I will. I don't make it a formal part of the tour, but I'll just ask some people. I said, "You want to see hell? <laughs> I mean, the literal hell." Yeah. All right. Come with me. And it's about from where we stay nowadays. Our, our hotel we stay in. It's about a eh, 20, 25 minute walk, and I just walk them over there, and we get to uh, uh, Gay Ben Hinnom park there's gates there i've never seen them shut but you walk in and so oh, these are the gates this, <laughs> is, literal, gates of this hell. is literal hell yeah and no. and the the gates of hell right there they are yeah <laughs> prevail and, and we walk in and and there's running right through it's a park with they've with a stream that runs right through the middle of it. Wow. And, you know, it's it's got lovely lawns and park benches and fountains and lovers walking hand in hand. I said, wow. welcome to the literal hell. <laughs> wow. and, then, and then as I walk in, there's a sign. It's in Hebrew. But you don't have to know Hebrew to know what it means because it's got, it's got, it's got a picture of a flame. Nice. With the international no. <laughs> Which what I'm sure it means is you can't have, you know, you can't build a campfire. In the park. Right, right. But I tell people you've come to the literal hell where there is, it's now a park with a stream flowing through the middle of it and fountains. And literally it says no fires. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot have a fire here. That's incredible. Well, this is my hope that, that the literal hells of this world can be healed. Yeah. And can be redeemed. And this is the work that Jesus Christ is doing. When Jesus, I mean, we're Holy Week here, right? And so Jesus is raised from the dead, the first human being to encounter the risen Christ is Mary Magdalene, and she mistook him for the gardener. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a wonderful mistake. It's hardly yeah, a mistake yeah. at all. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus is. He's the he's the new Adam, raised in a new garden, and he wants to lead us in turning garbage dumps into garden. That's so good. That's that's a fantastic metaphor of new creation. I love that. Um, do you want to close this out? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, like that that one got me. I'm, I'm going to be set for the rest of the week. Brandon, like. Brandon's falling out in the spirit yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to yet uh, another week of All Things Reconsidered. Pastor Brian, we cannot thank you enough for giving up some of your time to be on the show. Our viewers love when they see you, and so I'm sure they'll be excited to see you again. If this is your first time listening, please click the subscribe button down below. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, give us a like, share it on Facebook. And if you're so inclined, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash all things reconsidered. We have a Discord server where we can talk about this episode with you guys a little bit more in depth. But other than that, Pastor Brian, thank you so much for being here. Um, You can find him on Instagram. Um, I can never remember your church's website to where they can listen to your sermons, but they are also W-O-L-C on YouTube. W-O-L-C.com. W-O-L-C.com. We, we, we've tried so hard to get Word of Life. <laughs> we've offered the money. We just can't get Word of Life or Word of Life Church. So it's W-O-L-C, like Word of Life Church. Perfect. Okay. Go give them a listen, Joey. Uh, you're trying to say something? Well, I was just going to add, we also have merch now. Yeah, we do. We've launched some merch, so check it out. Uh, you get our logo on a hat. I mean, what else can you want? It's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, again, like he, Brandon's saying, thank you, Pastor Brian, and I hope that we can talk to you again soon. Ah, it was my privilege. Enjoyed being with you guys. Yes. Yes.